Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and we have so much to talk about here at the break. We are going to talk about the Home Run Derby. We're going to talk about the All-Star Game. We're going to catch up on those things because we haven't talked since those events happened. Then we've got storylines in the first half. This show, if you've never listened to us before, is built around the storylines of baseball. And yeah, in the first half of the season, there are definitely some storylines we're going to go over. We're going to talk about the rookies. We're going to talk about for every success hitting, there's been a failure. And we're going to talk about the uh, pitching. Where did the strikeouts go? And what about all these year two guys coming out of the bullpen? So there's some of the storylines we're going to talk about. And then we've got emails. We Our inbox has got a bunch of emails in it. And we even got some comments on Twitter. So we've got a lot of stuff to cover here in the episode. So let's get into it. Let's have some fun talking about the Guardians' first half. They sit at 46 and 44. They sit two games out of first place. They're in it. They're in it. They're considered one of the teams in it. You know, when you read articles about buyers and sellers, they tend to be on the buyer side of things, uh, you know, as people make projections and guesses of what could happen. So people are considering considering the Guardians in this thing. Now, uh, some of you might not even consider the entire AL Central in this thing because the AL East is just running away uh, with the 2022 season. But you get me in the playoffs, anything can happen. I'm going to always have that positivity if you get me in the playoffs. Now, we've gotten pummeled the last two times we were in the playoffs, right? By Houston in 2019, uh, or was that 2018? Uh, We got pummeled by the New York Yankees in 2020. So, yeah, we've gotten pummeled the last few times we've been in the playoffs. Would that happen again this year? Is the whatever team's going to make it out of the AL Central absolutely going to get obliterated by an AL East team? Maybe, maybe, but you put me in the playoffs, anything can happen. So, you'll see I'm going to keep an air of positivity here uh, to how we could maybe wrap this up, how we can handle the trade deadline, and how we can head into the second half of the season. So, Let's go through it. Let's talk. First, we haven't talked since the Home Run Derby. Our boy, Jose Ramirez, got to participate. And frankly, this is not the event for him. Now, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad as it could have been, right? Some other guys weren't spectacular. He had 17 home runs. You know, uh, Seager only had 24 in the first round. Uh, Alonzo only had 20 in the first round. We all know what happened with Pujols and Schwarber, where Schwarber ends up tying him. Like, that whole thing was a mess. Was it rigged? You know, they're saying they didn't count one of Schwarber's home runs, and then Pujols goes off in the uh, tiebreaker. You know, so what was going on there? So his 17 home runs, it wasn't the worst showing of the night. Uh, I guess with the swing off, I guess it was, but... His average exit velocity was only 99.5 miles per hour. Uh, The average exit velocity of the whole event was 105.3 miles per hour. His average distance was only 387 when the average distance of the whole event was 422. So you could see, uh, it just, this was not the event for Ramirez. Uh, Yeah, if there was some event where there was a runner on second base and you had to hit a double into the corner to drive him in, that would be more Jose Ramirez's thing. Uh, just blasting monster home runs isn't really Jose Ramirez's game. It was nice to see him out there with the stars. There was the funny moment when they were doing the player introductions where the guys were doing his swagger. Uh, I took that as a sign of respect, by the way. Some people took it as like an insult. No, it was a sign of respect. Uh, those guys respect Jose Ramirez, believe me. Uh, I don't know. Actually, don't believe me. I don't know. I've never talked to any of those guys. But it seems like they all respect Ramirez a lot and respect his game. But then the funny moment where the pyro goes off and like everybody on that stage jumps, including Ramirez, uh, Soto jumped out of his skin. Uh, so we get a funny moment there. But yeah, he just he just wasn't. I mean, the hardest the hardest hit ball in the day was 111 miles per hour. His hardest hit was only 104. His longest was 421. The longest on the day uh, from all batters. Oh, that was just the finals. I want all rounds. 
I went all rounds. The hardest hit on the day was 117, and the longest was 482. Uh, so yeah, so whatever. It's fun. It's just some fun stuff. And uh, you know, my my dad and my brother were kind of texting, and they're like, "Oh, we were a little disappointed by the home run derby." I was like, "Really? Like what? What did you want?" What would have made it not disappointing? What were you looking for? And they were like, I guess I don't have a good answer for that. So um, the Selby's Godcast guys had a good conversation where they're like, hey, maybe this stuff is just meant for when you're like 12 years old. And now that we're not 12 years old anymore, uh, you know, it's not as much fun. It doesn't hit the same. Maybe, maybe it's just that. When you remember when you were a kid and now that we're all grown up, uh, these things just maybe aren't quite as fun as when we were 12 years old. Uh, so, yeah. So, I was proud of Jose being in there, mixing it up with the stars in the Home Run Derby. Now, the actual All-Star game, that's when our guys shine. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Ramirez is the only player on both rosters with a multi-hit game. He goes two for two with a run scored in the game, scoring on Stanton's uh, game-tying home run. The AL wins for the ninth time, three to two. Ridiculous. Uh, Andres Jimenez uh, gets the start at second base. He kind of sucks at the plate. I mean, he strikes out twice on seven pitches, but he does have a, a you know a gem of a defensive play, getting a ball up the middle, flipping it behind his back. So he got the show off with the glove, with the arm. I mean, really behind the back toss. That was the show off part, um, and they get the double play there. So I think everybody had their moment. Uh, and then Class A gets the save to end the game. They go to Class A, not Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks and Clay Holmes combined to pitch the uh, the eighth inning. Gregory Soto and Jorge Lopez combined to pitch the seventh inning. And then Emmanuel Class A gets the ninth inning on his own, and he is straight fire. Strikes out three batters on ten straight cutters. And just absolute fire stuff there. Uh, I thought it was interesting going over to the... Yeah, I'm using Baseball Savant for the All-Star game. Yes, I am. Uh, But going over to the Illustrator, uh, the pitches that uh, Jose Ramirez was getting is he was just getting a bunch of off-speed stuff kind of right down the middle. He ends up hitting a splitter uh, to get his first hit off of uh, Tony Gonsolin. And then ends up getting off Luis Castillo a fastball down and in. Uh, first pitch. And uh, gets a hit off that one. So uh, he was getting a lot of stuff just down on the middle of the plate. Meanwhile, Andres Jimenez is dealing with insane curveballs and breaking balls down and in from Musgrove, from Gonsolin. Uh, so yeah, so he strikes out twice. Musgrove gets him uh, on a swinging strike on a curveball down at his feet. And uh, Gonsolin gets him on a slider uh, that he foul tips into the catcher's glove for a strikeout right at the belt, but inside. So for some reason, he just was not getting the same pitches that Jose Ramirez was getting. And I don't know, maybe someone told him, you just go up there and you swing in the All-Star game. But he was ultra aggressive and struck out twice on the day. But the big story from the All-Star game, MVP on the day for me, has to be Emmanuel Classe. Um, I mean, nobody... Nobody in the All-Star game, now of course it's a tiny sample size, but nobody in the All-Star game has better CSW numbers than Class A. He's got a 60% CSW in his All-Star appearance, in his one inning. That's, I mean, on six cutters, one whiff and five called strikes, just pounding with uh, an average of 99.3 miles per hour on that cutter. Uh, Manoa comes close. Manoa had a good day. Uh, nobody else really comes close when it comes to CSW numbers, at least for the American League here. Yeah, Manoa was at a 50% CSW. Threw a lot more pitches, though. Had to throw 18 pitches in his inning. Uh, so it's pretty interesting stuff that Class A turns out as the most dominant pitcher in this All-Star game. Uh, Sandy Alcantara for the NL was at a 46% CSW. Uh, so he had himself a good game. Uh, Musgrove was at 38, but he threw 16 pitches. Uh, so yeah, so these guys had to work a lot harder than Classe did. Some of them threw a lot more pitches than Classe did. Uh, Mantiply for uh, the NL was at 44%. Uh, 
Uh, he had some decent whiffs, three whiffs on five swings. Uh, I know this is silly. I know it's just an inning, basically. Some of these guys, it's less than an inning. But I just think it's funny that Cosse showed out of all the pitchers. And he gets the save. He gets the big moment. He gets the big roar at the end of the game. So that was fun uh, in the All-Star game. Okay. Moving on, uh, the draft. We already talked a little bit about the first three guys. Frankly, I'm not going to dig into the whole draft. I'm not. I, these guys, you have no clue if you will ever, ever hear any of these names again. You just you don't know. Uh, so you, know, you keep your eye on these names. You wait to see who starts to come up through the system. I don't know if these were good draft picks or bad draft picks. Uh Nobody, you know, we don't really follow the college game or the high school game in some respects uh, like we do college football or college basketball. It's just, at least in Cleveland, we're not following college baseball the same way. So I don't know about these guys. Some guys people were excited about. There was a speedy outfielder that people were very excited about in the middle rounds there. There was a uh, guy we took in the 10th round that apparently fell and nobody thought we'd be able to sign and we got him signed. He's not going to go to college. He's going to come play minor league baseball. So, uh, yeah, there's some names in there that clearly got people that follow this stuff excited. But it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a long time till we see any of these. The biggest deal of this is that we took a college outfielder with that first pick. So does that mean any of the other outfielders in the system are expendable the trade deadline, knowing you have this experienced guy that you can plug right into your system, might go maybe right to Columbia, uh, to Lake County, and uh, you know already be in the system ready to go to replace maybe someone that gets traded at the trade deadline. I, I don't know. That might be the only thing of impact, at least on this season, from the draft. You got some good arms. Some very Cleveland-type arms people are excited about that probably will go in and strike out a ton of hitters. Uh, so, yeah, so there's there's some good stuff from the draft. But, look, I'm not going to spend a whole episode. There are other experts on the draft out there that I recommend checking out. Um, all right, so the storylines of the first half of the season. And believe me, your emails are coming, your Twitter comments are coming. But I wanted to get in the storylines because the top storyline for me is the rookies. Come on, the rookies, especially the rookie outfielders. I mean, Quan, Jones, Oscar Gonzalez, and Palacios have all been surprisingly pretty good. Uh, and it's pushed out, it's pushed other guys off the roster. I mean, the willingness to DFA somebody, right? We DFA'd Quan, we DFA'd Mercado multiple times now. We traded Zimmer off this team right away because of the rookies. The rookies have shown up and actually performed. As far as war goes, and I'm over on fan graphs here, so F war, uh, Stephen Kwan clocks in at the fifth best rookie in baseball so far this season. Uh, it's behind Julio Rodriguez, which is kind of running away with it. Jeremy Pena from Houston, uh, who took over shortstop there. Uh, Michael Harris II in Atlanta, who we don't hear a lot about, uh, in Cleveland, in Cleveland. Bobby Wood Jr., here we hear, who we hear a ton about in Kansas City, is at 1.6 F4, and Stephen Kwan comes in at 1.5 F4. So right behind him in value, really. I mean, you hear a ton about Bobby Witt in, uh, you know, AO Rookie of the Year competitions. I mean, it's going to be Julio Rodriguez. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Julio Rodriguez is going to be your AL Rookie of the Year. But, yeah, I think Quan has really held his own with those guys. Uh, when it comes to uh, WRC+, plus, weighted runs created plus, Quan is up there. He slips a little bit. Uh, him and Oscar Gonzalez are 13th and 14th, uh, mostly because, uh, you know, Quan's not driving in runs. He's just not. He doesn't have the RBIs um, to compete with some of these other rookies. Uh so, yeah, so, and then a few guys here are going to be outliers. Uh, you know, one of these guys has only played in 33 games, whereas Julio Rodriguez has played in 91 games. Um, when it comes to on-base percentage, Quan obviously up there with some of the top guys, some of the top rookies right now. Uh, that's the thing where Stephen Quan stands out. I mean, it's been 
miraculous to watch him. Uh, and of course, Fangraphs is going to lock up on me right now. When it comes to on-base percentage, Quan comes in at second of all rookies. Brendan Donovan from St. Louis, uh, who's played like every position for the Cardinals, has a 395 on-base percentage. Uh, and Quan comes in with a 361. He's second amongst all rookies. So it's pretty good stuff right there. Palacios is also up on this, and so is Oscar Gonzalez. Is Nolan Jones checking in on this? You know what? I might have set the uh, qualifying at-bats a little too high for Nolan Jones uh, to show up on this list. Uh, Jones is doing good. Jones is doing really good, but it's a very small sample size right now. So Quan doing really good when it comes to on-base percentage. He's really holding his own with the rest of these rookies. It's It's been impressive from him. The defense has been there. I think Palacios definitely still needs to work on his defense. Gonzalez apparently has been taking swings in the minor league complex. So he might be back from that uh, rib injury or whatever it was, uh, you know, a rib muscle injury, something in the core injury. Uh, Gonzalez might be back sooner rather than later from that. And people were wondering, how is he going to fit back in? I think Terry Francona has showed you that, my God, that guy loves a platoon. I mean, he loves a left-right platoon. He loves matching up lefties and righties against the starting pitchers. So is Gonzalez going to platoon with Nolan Jones in right field? Probably. Probably will. Uh, It's just that Terry Francona has definitely showed his hand on that, and he loves using the excuse of a lefty or righty starter to set his starting lineup. So I, I guess that's probably where Gonzalez fits in when he comes back. Uh, that right-handed bat off the bench because Nolan Jones is running away with this thing. Like I said, he doesn't qualify in some of those things, but he's hitting 333. He's got a 455 on base and he's slugging 519. So uh, do the math there. That's over a 900 OPS. So Nolan Jones has absolutely been as, I mean, this is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for a rookie like Nolan Jones to come up and do this. Um, so Nolan Jones, even though he doesn't qualify against the rest of those rookies, he is definitely, definitely uh, delivering since being called up to the majors. And you got to hope that he just keeps rolling in the second half. Now, remember, with every rookie, there's going to be huge peaks and huge valleys. We saw it with Quan, right? Quan has finally plateaued to what we can consider maybe his level of production right now. Uh, but there was a big valley in there for Stephen Quan after a huge peak to start the season. Uh, so it's nice to see him plateau. Now, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I would have said we need so much help in the outfield. We need a power hitting a corner outfielder. But now, with the way the rookies are performing, do we? I mean, the one guy in the outfield you could say who's not living up to his end of the deal is Straw, is Miles Straw. He got the contract that held him through his... Um, held him through his arbitration years, but he's just not delivering offensively like you wanted, like you thought he was going to deliver. I mean, the numbers are pretty bad for Miles Straw. The only thing he's doing right now is walking. He's leading the team in walks at 42 walks, right above Ramirez at 40 walks and Stephen Kwan at 32 walks. So he at least is doing that. He's keeping the on-base percentage somewhat respectable at 305. But he's only slugging 266. He's only hitting 212. Now, he had a pretty good week to end the first half. So maybe Straw's coming out of it. But if Straw is really the weak link in the outfield and you really feel like you need to go get a corner outfielder, Quan could move to center field. And then you'd have Jones and Gonzalez in one corner. You'd have a, a, some random power-hitting corner outfielder that you go trade for in the other corner, and then you have Quan in center field. Maybe Quan and Straw platooning in center field. I don't know if you have that much room on your roster. So uh, for every, this takes me to my next storyline, for every success hitting, there's a failure. And there are some big successes here. Andres Jimenez, huge success. Huge success. What he's been doing late in the games, we've gone over the numbers in previous episodes. But from the seventh inning on, this guy is unstoppable. Either way, he's hitting 296 on this season. He's got a over 800 OPS. I mean, it's really good stuff from Andres Jimenez. Um, he's the top. He's the second best hitter. Nolan Jones, 
Again, a little bit of an outlier because he only has 33 at-bats. When we come to expected weighted on base percentage. So, you know, the big expected stat that people love looking at. Uh, Andres Jimenez is the best on the team at 344. Now, this takes away the defenders. and stuff. So if someone makes a diving catch or something like that, you know, an immaculate catch, it takes it out of the equation. This is just the expected numbers based on launch angle and exit velocity. Um, so Andres Jimenez uh, is best on the team right now, 344. Naylor at 334. Uh, Jose Ramirez at 330, expected weighted on base percentage. These are your top hitters. Ahmed Rosario at 312. Quan at 303. These guys are doing fantastic. Uh, now, for every success, because Naylor definitely has been a success. The fact that he's been able to come back from that injury, the 13 home runs, um, you know, driving in uh, RBIs, it's been big stuff from Josh Naylor. Ramirez obviously has been playing out of his mind at an all-star level. Uh, he's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is really, I thought Ahmed Rosario was one of the keys to the first half of the season. He's, he's playing some of the best baseball of his career. Um, it's been fantastic stuff. Uh, I was trying to look at some of his overall numbers. He's really cut down on strikeouts. I know it feels like he uh, strikes out a ton right now. Like he'll chase any slider out of the zone, but for most of his career, he's been around a 20% strikeout rate. He's down to 15% strikeout rate right now. So he's really cut down more than you think. Uh, his hard hit percentage is about his career average at 39.6 this year. Uh, his expected weighted on base is a little bit higher than his career average. His career average was just under 300 at 297. He's at 312 right now. A lot of things are around his career average, including batting average, expected slugging, expected batting average. Um, his barrel percentage is right around his career average. So a lot of things are around his career average, but I could say cutting down on the strikeouts has helped. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is having a really good season for us. Uh, 291 right now. If he holds this 291 batting average, it'd be the best batting average of his career. Uh, it would be his best on base percentage of his career right now at 327. Uh, so yeah. So he is having one of his better seasons. Now, the OPS isn't spectacular. It's only 730 because he doesn't slug a ton. He is a singles machine. But when you have the speed he does and what he can do on the base paths, I'll take it, especially hitting in front of Jose Ramirez. That combination works. You've seen when Quan and when Ahmed Rosario doesn't ground into a double play, because that definitely is a storyline in the first half of the season, this offense is absolutely unlocked. Those two guys getting on base, look out for this offense. It is going to explode on you. You're going to have a bad day uh, if you cannot get those first two guys out to start the game. So th for every success, though, there is a failure. And I mean, Straw, Fermil Reyes, the catcher position have been absolutely terrible on the season. Fermil Reyes, the fact that he's only got eight home runs, he's only slugging 357. I mean, the fact that his OPS is Barely above 600. It's just embarrassing uh, for Fermil Reyes. I mean, we really, really counted on this guy. And it's insane how bad he's been this season compared to what we thought we had. And that's why a lot of you in your emails have asked about trading Fermil Reyes. So we're going to get to Fermil Reyes in a second here. And then the catcher position has just been a black hole offensively. We knew it going into the season. We knew not to expect much. Now, the good news is that there are some catchers with some promise. Bo Naylor, especially. Lavastida a little bit. Coming up. Coming up. But they're very young. I mean, he just, Bo Naylor just got to AAA. So is he going to get called up to replace Luke Maley? Probably. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen before the season's over. Start the 2023 season with him? Yeah, definitely. I could see him starting the 2023 season on the main roster. Whether that's paired with Austin Hedges or whether that's paired with another veteran catcher that they go out and trade for or something like that, I don't know. That's the one spot. you got to think if they want to compete this season, they have to make a decision on catcher. Is there that many catchers out there? No, probably not. I mean, catcher just isn't generally a very good hitting position. Most of these guys aren't great hitters. 
they are diamonds in the rough when you can find a catcher like Wilson Contreras over the Cubs who can hit like he can. It really is. We thought maybe we had something with Jan Gomes and with um, Roberto Perez, and it just didn't last, right? It just wasn't what we thought it was going to be offensively. Neither of those guys really, really stayed with it offensively after maybe one good season. So it is really hard, really hard. We have a history of it. We do have a legacy of it. Alomar, right, in the 90s. We had uh, Victor Martinez in the 2000s. We have a history of having some production at the catcher position, but it's really hard to find. Maybe it's Bo Naylor. Maybe it is. Maybe that guy will come up and just be fantastic. Be it. The power-hitting Naylors can hit back-to-back in the lineup. That would be fun. I almost don't want to trade. I don't want them to trade Bo Naylor uh, just because of that. I want to see the Naylor brothers hit together in the lineup. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, Francona would definitely have to keep that batting helmet on because headbutts could be coming from any direction at that point. So, yeah. So, I think a big storyline offensively is for every success, there's been a failure to balance it out. So, that's why this offense is kind of middle of the pack right now. It started out very hot. We were one of the top offensive as baseball. We've slipped to middle of the pack. Now, Valleca has changed one thing, and that's strikeouts. We still, by far and away, are the lowest team in all of baseball when it comes to strikeouts. So we got the new hitting coach, and it has had an effect that way. So that is huge for the first half of the season. Now, on the pitching side of things, my big question is, where have the strikeouts been? Where are the strikeouts? This is a team, this is a starting pitching staff that was built around strikeouts a few years ago. I mean, if you go back to the 20-teens, it's like the 2019 season, right? They were all about the strikeouts. Bieber was at 10.9 strikeouts per nine. Trevor Bauer was at 10.6 strikeouts per nine. Clevenger was at 12.1 strikeouts per nine. Carlos Carrasco was at 10.8 strikeouts per nine, right? That whole team was about can you strike out as many hitters as possible? They're just not doing that. Bieber is at 9.0. McKenzie is at 8.5 strikeouts per nine. Quantrill is only at 5.6. He just does not strike people out. Plesek is at 6.5. Savali was at 8.7. Pilkington's been at 8.3 when he's gotten starts. They just haven't been, the starters have not been leaning into the strikeouts like the starting staffs of the past half. And I think that has had an effect a little bit on the season and how well they've pitched. Now, Bieber, McKenzie have definitely been the elite pitchers in this rotation. Uh, McKenzie actually has the best ERA at 3.2. Bieber is next at 3.24. When it comes to ERA plus against the rest of the league, where league average is set to 100, McKenzie is at 120 and Bieber is at 119. So these guys are pitching above league average. Uh, When it comes to whip, those guys are also the best. McKenzie below one on his whip. That is fantastic. 0.977. Bieber is at a 1.126 whip. Very respectable. And the thing that's surprising me here, and I haven't mentioned his name yet, is that Quantrill and Plesak, who do you think's having the better season? Most of you would say Quantrill, right? And by the narrowest of margins, yes. But when you look at the numbers, actually, maybe not. He's got a slightly better ERA, 3.75 to a 4.02 for Plesak. Uh, Plesak has given up, they've given up the same amount of earned runs, though. They've both given up 42 earned runs. Plesak has given up a little bit more unearned runs. He's at 50 runs given up to Quantrill's 47. Uh, Quantrill's actually given up more walks, 30 walks, only 23 for Plesak. Uh, Plesak has more strikeouts, 68 to 63. These guys have both had 17 starts, so things are pretty even. Uh, Quantrill has lasted a few more innings, 100.2 innings to 94. Uh, so, yeah, so the ERA plus, Quantrill's at 102, Plesak's at 96, so just below league average. Uh, when it comes to whip, Plesak's actually a little better by three hundredths of a decimal point better, 1.29 to 1.26 for Plesak. Uh, when it comes to walks per nine, Quantrill is higher. When it comes to strikeouts per nine, Plesak's higher. Uh, strikeout to walk ratio, Plesak is better. So maybe not. Maybe Plesak hasn't really had. Yeah, he's two and seven on the season, where Quantrill is six and five. Plesak has also gotten an abysmal, uh, you know, run run support from the lineup. 
but maybe Quantrill and Plesek aren't having as different seasons as you may have thought at first, off the top of your head, when you said Quantrill is definitely having the better season. Uh, so Plesek has been hanging in there despite the terrible run support. Savali has been rough. He's got the 6.17 ERA. He's been injured twice now. Pilkington has not been great. Called up from the minors. He's carrying a 4.24 ERA in uh, eight starts. Uh, it's a 1.636 whip. It's not very good. Uh, he walks a lot of guys. He's got 37 strikeouts to 21 walks, so it's a 1.76 strikeout to walk ratio, which is not very good. I mean, our our good guys are up around three and four strikeout to walk ratio. So that's where Pilkington's got to be. Will Pilkington bounce back in the second half of the season? He's probably going to get more starts. Or is it time to go to other guys at AAA? And that's going to be one of our email questions. Is it time to go to other guys at AAA? Now, as far as the bullpen goes, it's all about the second year guys. Class A, Eli Morgan, Trevor Steffen, Sam Henches, Nick Sandlin. These are all second year guys. It's pretty incredible. Uh, and they're actually delivering. The bullpen has been pretty darn good. Class A, Eli Morgan, Trevor Steffen, all with ERA pluses over 100. Really good stuff. Sam Hench is just below league average at 93. Yeah, he's had his struggles. Uh, he's been hit around a little bit more than some of these other guys. Uh, carrying a little higher whip uh, than these guys at 1.3. But he has had his moments. He is still striking out 10 per 9 innings. So at least there's that going for Sam Hench's. Delos Santos has been fantastic. He is an ERA plus of 125. Sandlin actually has an ERA plus of 128. I know for a while there, his walks got insane. He's at a 6.8 walks per nine innings, which is not good. But since he's come back from AAA, Sandlin has been pretty good. Um, and then we got Karinchek, you know, also back from AAA. He is still striking out, guys. I know he's had a few messy appearances. Uh, he's only pitched in five games since coming back from AAA, but... Uh, but he does have 15, 15 strikeout per nine ratio right now, which is kind of ridiculous. He also has a 6.0 walks per nine ratio. So a little too many walks, still getting the strikeouts from Karen Check. Uh, yeah, the second year guys have actually held their own in the bullpen. Now, bullpen is definitely an area I would target at the trade deadline. But that's not to take anything away from Eli Morgan and Trevor Steffen and De Los Santos in those setup roles. Maybe Sandlin and Sam Hench is mixed in there. I think you have a mix of a really, really good young bullpen. Maybe, maybe that eighth inning guy. Maybe you, if you get an eighth inning guy, it shifts all these guys down a little bit. They just takes the pressure off them just a little bit to know there's one other guy leading in a Class A who is, I mean, one of the best in baseball. There's no doubt about it. That's the reason he closed the All-Star game, because he's one of the best in baseball. Uh, so those were the top storylines I thought of the season. I could keep going. We're already at a 35 minute, 30 ish minute episode. I could keep going, but those were the top storylines. I think, I think you get a pretty good picture there of what the first half of the season looked like. Let's go to some of these email comments and let's go to some of these Twitter comments. I loved, uh, this comment I got on Twitter, uh, cause I kind of threw it out there to see if I could get some more comments, some more thoughts. And uh, I got one from at Allison Ray 22 on Twitter. She said the Blue Jays firing Charlie Montoya because he couldn't lead young players makes me appreciate what Tito has done this year. I know some in-game stuff has been questionable. I think you would all agree. This is me, by the way. I think you would all agree that uh, his bullpen use has been one of those questionable things. But she says, it seems like the bigger picture stuff is going better for us than other young teams. And that's cool. And I got to agree with her. Uh, that is very cool. Uh, I think she hit the nail on the head there. Yes, he has made some weird decisions when it comes to bullpen usage. Uh, yes, he still uses Brian Shaw too much. Uh, Brian Shaw not leading in appearances, by the way. That is Classe. Shaw is second on the team uh, behind Classe as far as appearances go. Um, but uh, some questionable uses of the platoon, right? He's obsessed with that lefty-righty matchup as much as he can get it. as if, When the lefty starter is out there, my God, he bails on those lefty starters, and he clears out the bench of right-handed hitters. It drives me insane. And he doesn't even move the lineup around. He'll just 
take someone out of the lineup and stick someone who doesn't belong there right into their spot in the lineup. I don't get that. You could mix it up a little bit more if you are going to go to your bench. But we have to agree with Allison here that, yeah, the use, you know, the, the treatment of the rookies, trusting the rookies, it's something I didn't think Francona had in him at the beginning of the season. I would have never said the way in the past they haven't given guys opportunities, right? Look at Daniel Johnson, never really got a shot. There's other guys, other young rookies that haven't really gotten shots under Francona. He sticks with veterans. He does tend to stick with veterans. But he has bought into this season. He has bought into the fact that the farm system is absolutely stacked with talent. And this 40-man roster crunch, we've got to see these guys play. And for Antonetti and Chernoff's sake, Francona has gone along with it. And he's played these guys. Look at Nolan Jones comes up and he's playing. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez came up and he's playing every day. Quan gets to start the season with the team and he's out there playing. Maybe the only one who really hasn't gotten the playing time has been... Uh, Palacios, but his defense, his defense still needs some work out there in the outfield. Remember, he's a converted infielder playing, trying to play the outfield. So, yeah, I think Francona absolutely has been a really solid manager for this club, leading this club again through some peaks and valleys in this season, through some absolute peaks and valleys. There were some losing streaks in there that were really rough to deal with, and Francona let them through, and they bounced back, and then went on some crazy win streaks. So. Uh, yeah, it's been that kind of season. Uh, I mean, it, it's been the kind of season where you go to Detroit and get swept, and then Detroit comes to Cleveland and you sweep them, right? It's just been that kind of season. So thank you for the Twitter comment there. Let's get into some of the email questions. Um, I think Chris uh, from New Jersey, always a good emailer, has some good questions. He says, first off, thanks so much for your podcast. We really appreciate your dedication, excellence, and insight that you provide on a daily basis for us Guardians fans. I'm sure it's a lot of work, and you always deliver high-quality content. I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah, it, it. you know what? I just like talking baseball. And I'm like a lot of you. There's not a lot of people in my life to talk baseball with, right? My brother and my dad, we talk baseball. I got one buddy who likes baseball. Not a lot of friends other than that to talk baseball with. Even the guys at work. Are like they've been really weird about the Guardians name change, and it pisses me off. But uh, yeah, I used to talk baseball at work a lot, and even that's fallen off. Uh, so yeah, so thank you, Chris. I appreciate the nice comments. He says it was great to see Jose Ramirez's two. I'm guessing he meant hit performance yesterday in the All Star game, and hopefully he's starting to heat up. Like most, I previously thought he was still dealing with his th- sore thumb over the past few weeks, but I guess he was just going through a rough spell. Even he's susceptible to those. Yes, he is. If you look back at Jose Ramirez's game logs over the season, he has some weird cold spells that come out of nowhere. Uh, So, yeah, it is great to see Jose hitting again. So he's got a few questions for us. 40-man roster transactions aside, what would you like to see the Guardians do with the fifth spot in the rotation if Aaron Savali is out for any extended period of time? I'm sure he'll continue to develop, but I feel others at AAA Columbus deserve an opportunity beyond Connor Pilkington. They've had, uh, they'd have to be added to the roster, but maybe we'll see a Peyton Badenfeld, a Logan T. Allen, or a Xavion Curry soon. All right, so let's hit this question because then the rest of the questions all blend together from our emailers. Um, yeah, so looking down at Columbus, here are your options as far as starters go, right? Hayden Battenfield has the most starts in Columbus, and he's been doing really well. A 2.91 ERA on 18 starts. His whip is at 1.15. He has been the best starter by far down in Columbus. Now, Tobias Myers had the next starts, but he is actually he got DFA'd. He's with San Francisco. That's all right. He was 1-9 with a 6 ERA on a 1.77 whip. Tanner Tully, who we've seen up here, eh, it's been meh. At Columbus, Adam Scott is a name we haven't talked about, maybe because he has a 719 ERA, but he does have the most next the next most starts at Columbus. But he's carrying a 719 ERA and a 1.74 whip. So probably not going to see Adam Scott up here. We've seen Kirk McCarty and we've seen Connor Pilkington. So the next up would be Logan T. Allen and Xavier Curry. They both had only three starts in Columbus so far. Now it's not going to be Logan T. Allen. He's got a 12.54 ERA in three starts. He's got a 2.79 whip. He is clearly getting used to the jump from double A AA to triple A. Give him time. If you look at most pitchers, 
Every time they make that jump, those numbers go down and then they come back up. So give Logan T. Allen some time. Xavier Curry has handled it very well. He's 1-1 one one in three starts with a 4.8 ERA and a 1.13 whip. That's very good. So I got to say, of all the names here, the two that are popping out to me has to be Peyton Battenfield. Remember, he's the one we got for Jordan Luplo from uh, Tampa Bay and Xavier Curry, who's been tearing it up in our system. I think those two guys definitely are looking at a start here in the second half, and both of them would have to be added to the 40-man roster. But they have showed no qualms about DFAing a guy off of that 40-man roster to make room for someone they think deserves a shot. So, yes, a Pilkington has been okay, has been serviceable, filling in on the second half of those doubleheaders. They haven't officially announced what they're going to do. They've got a doubleheader on Saturday. They haven't announced what they're going to do yet. They might get away. I think with the rules for the doubleheader, they could bring up Badenfeld and start him in the second half of the doubleheader and not necessarily take Savali's spot on the roster. If Pilkington is easier to take his spot on the roster for now, maybe Pilkington gets the fifth starter spot and Badenfeld gets the second half of the doubleheader spot until Savali is back. But I would love to see what Peyton Badenfield has. I mean, after 18 starts there in Columbus, I think he's ready to face some major league hitters and see what he's got. It's a great strikeout-to-walk ratio. It's 70 strikeouts to 33 walks. So he's doing it. He's leading Columbus in strikeouts. So this is the guy, Peyton Badenfield, that we definitely have to see given an opportunity here. All right, we'll jump into the rest of the questions. His second question was, what do you make of Fermil Reyes trade rumors? Uh, he goes on to say a lot about him. Yeah, he has struggled a lot. And then lastly, on the trade deadline, what else do you foresee happening? I guess a lot depends on the next two weeks uh, as far as wins and losses go. Maybe I'm an optimist, but first place in the AL Central is definitely still within reach. I agree with you there, Chris. Uh, I'd love to see them bring in some some relief pitching, some reliable pitching, preferably a starting pitcher with some years of team control or relief bullpen arm and a catcher. Uh, So, yeah, so... Overall, he says, as a fan, I'm pretty happy with the 46 and 44 start into the All-Star game break and just excited about the team's future. I think their years of contention may already be here with lots of talent coming in the upper minors. And Chris, we're going to answer those two questions, but first we're going to read our other emails. Rick in Austin, Texas emailed in. He said, hey, Davey, the Guardians' first year has been a pleasant surprise. I admit to giving up on two games that they came back and won. I now want to listen to the entire game. Good job, Rick. I like it. I think Quan at leadoff is perfect. He sees a lot of pitches and gets on base, often to start the, start the excitement. And starting pitching is really shaping up, which gives me hope for the second half. I think Reyes should be traded because he doesn't fit with the team's style of taking pitches and putting the ball in play. I have no idea what they can get for him. What do you think? I enjoy your podcast. Keep it up. Thank you, Rick. I told you these emails are going to follow along the same themes. And then Ken... Uh, emailed in. Ken's been a frequent emailer here, and he said, will Cleveland trade Reyes and Rosario soon? Any other trades that you see in the near future? So you can see that all three of those emails did fall along the same path there. As far as trading Reyes and Rosario, the one thing you have to consider is the impact that those guys have in the clubhouse. They are very highly respected in the clubhouse. They're well-liked. They're leaders on this team. And that might make them difficult to trade. Now, they, this front office has been ruthless at times when it comes to making trades, but that might make them difficult to trade. And Rosario, frankly, I mean, the guy is playing fantastic baseball right now. I mean, how could you want to trade Rosario? I know you want to see the young middle infielders, but we've talked about it before. Like, God, if Rosario could play any other position, there's no way we'd be talking about trading him. He's fun to watch play the game of baseball. Reyes, I just don't know what you who's going to trade for him. What what can you sell? How could you sell Reyes? Maybe if you packaged him like in some kind of trade deal, like look, we'll throw in this extra prospect if you take Reyes off our hands. Maybe that's the only way. But I I think Reyes is going to be around for a while, and I think we just have to hope that he bounces back because we know we know when he's hot and hitting in the fourth or fifth spot in this lineup, and he's really cooking. It changes things in this lineup. It really makes this a feared lineup if we can get him going again. So 
I think you're going to be, I don't think Reyes is going anywhere. I don't think Rosario is going anywhere. I think those guys are with us to the end of the season. I agree with some of your emails that catcher is definitely a spot to look at. The A's catcher, Sean Murphy, just hit a home run coming out of the All-Star break. The A's are definitely a team that will sell anybody. I'm sure there's guys out there. You know, Antonetti and Chernoff have a way of finding guys out there that you've never heard of and somehow getting success out of them, right? Nick Wickren from Miami a few years ago, right? And they, they traded for some Tampa Bay relievers um, a few years ago, right? They just they find these guys that you've never heard of that they've got good data on that they think could come in and strike out a lot of people. Uh, Bedner, the closer for the Pirates, is one to keep your eyes on. He was an all-star, um, but he is on a team that's struggling and is definitely going to be in sell mode. So could you get a guy like that and make him your setup man ahead of Class A? That's the kind of trades I would be looking at. I mean, look at who's struggling and look at who they've got in their bullpen that maybe strikes out a lot of guys. And that would be the targets that I think Anthony Chernoff go after. I definitely think you need to add to the bullpen. If you're going to make a run at this playoffs, at this AL Central crown, you need to add to the bullpen and maybe add a starter. And maybe, like I, like these guys said, maybe add a starter. I don't know. I don't know if you can get the guy from the A's or one of the guys from the Cincinnati Reds who's a good starter. Um, I think Tyler Malley just like went on the IL, so that one's going to be tough. Uh yeah, I, I think this team is primed to add some pitching. Now, the big question out there, the one that's been bounced around Twitter, was Juan Soto. Could the Guardians actually go out and get Juan Soto? Zach Meisel wrote a whole article about it for The Athletic, and the answer is actually yes. We have enough prospects in our system that we might be able to entice the Nationals into a trade for Juan Soto, which would this is be extreme. This would be ridiculous if it happened. I mean, it would make our lineup fantastic. Can you imagine Soto or Ramirez backing each other up in the lineup? Oh, my God, that'd be a lot of fun. I think you would probably have to hit, because Soto hits so many home runs, I think you would have to hit him cleanup behind Ramirez, right? That would be your best lineup? Would be a Soto backing up Ramirez? Because Ramirez is going to get an RBI double, and then Soto's going to homer him in. So that's the dream. I mean, that's a dream scenario right there. We actually have the prospect capital. I mean, even if they gave him Valera and Gabriel Arias and threw in Xavion Curry and Tanner Bibby, like that would be four amazing prospects, right? Four absolutely fantastic prospects. Uh, and there would still be plenty of depth in the system. I mean, you still have Will Benson and Will Brennan at AAA, waiting to come up and play in this outfield. Meanwhile, you've got an outfield of Quan Straw and Nolan Jones, who's ridiculously young. Where Who's Valera going to push out of that, probably Straw, uh, to find at-bats in the major leagues? And then you have Joensky Noel right behind him. You just drafted a college outfield power-hitting bat. Like, yeah, you absolutely could trade Valera and be okay in your minor league system. Remember, that's the point. I mean, that's how you acquire talent. You either pay money for it or you trade prospects. That's your two capital you have to spend on talent. So they absolutely could uh, have the prospects to go out there and their minor league system would take a hit, but I don't think it would be devastating. It wouldn't decimate the minor league system to go out and make that trade. They would still have so much talent coming up. I mean, you could trade Gabriel Arias and you still have Tyler Freeman sitting right there. And uh, Rocchio and uh, Jose Tania still coming up to be middle infielders. Not to mention Andres Jimenez, who's like 23 years old. So uh, you could. You could absolutely package Arias in a trade or Tyler Freeman in a trade and be just fine in your middle infield. So uh, it's not unreasonable that they would be in on Soto. The other thing to consider is if it becomes a three-way trade, could Cleveland get in on that with their prospects? Could they somehow bring back a starting pitcher from a New York or a L.A. or a San Diego or something like that? Could they bring back some pitching by throwing some of their prospects into a trade for Soto and making it a three-way deal? They've been involved in three-way trades before. Uh, now, yeah, so it would be. it's fascinating. It's fascinating what's going to happen over the next two weeks. I'm not a prognosticator. I'm a reactor. I'm going to give you a nice, honest reaction. I'm going to have fun digging into the numbers once something goes down. Uh, yeah, I can make some wild guesses, but I think Francona and Chernoff have shown that they tend to surprise us. 
They tend to not go in the direction that the writers from Bleacher Report who do the top 10 trades that must happen articles think the Guardians are going to go in, right? Chernoff and Antonetti tend to zig when everyone thinks they're going to zag. And so I think you'll be surprised about what happens here at the trade deadline. I don't think they're going to stay quiet. They can't. They can't. There's two things going on in this system. There's a huge crunch on the 40-man roster, and they're in playoff contention. There's Those two things combined tell me they have to be aggressive at the trade deadline here. So we'll see what goes down. Thank you to Allison, to Chris, to Rick, to Ken for the emails and the thoughts for jumping in and joining the show. I really appreciate the interaction. It made it more fun here at the end of the show to hear your thoughts. And that's always an option that's available to all the morning people that listen to this podcast. You can always email in at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. You can ask questions. You can tell me your thoughts. You can tell me your reactions. We can talk about players. We can talk about trades, whatever you want to talk about. I am open to it, morning people. ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. All right, that is all my thoughts. I told you this was going to be a big episode. That's all my thoughts. Somehow the baby is still asleep, and we made it through the end of this episode. So let's wrap this thing up. No, for those of you who don't listen to the show regularly, that is not a figure of speech. I literally have a baby, and I'm watching him on the baby monitor, and thankfully he's still sleeping. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Again, there's no final from last night, but we do start the season tonight. We do start the season against those uh, Chicago White Sox, and I, they still haven't officially announced the starters, but I believe Quantrill is getting the first game for the Cleveland Guardians coming out of the All-Star break. So you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>